welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write us a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to check out our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. In today's episode, we are going to be continuing where we left off with ancient mankind um, with our discussion on some of the sort of historical aspects of astrological thought and philosophy and practice. So in today, we are going to be moving our focus to the land of Mesopotamia, where it's thought that much of the ideas of astrology had their first beginnings. So civilization in Mesopotamia is thought to have started to around 4000 BC in the region that is now Iraq. Mesopotamia is the name of a fertile plain which is in the Middle East and it has on the one side the river Tigris and the river Euphrates on the other side and it's really an area steeped in history and is often referred to as the cradle of civilization because it's the people and culture that lived there that gave birth to much of the Judeo-Christian traditions that are still prevalent today. The southern area of this vast plain was called Babylonia, and the north, Assyria, and the people of this vast plain were described by Cicero as follows. They reside in vast plains where no mountains obstruct their view of the entire hemisphere. And so they have applied themselves mainly to that kind of divination called astrology. I think that's a really lovely quote from Cicero because it really brings up images in the mind's eye of the vastness of space, the desert the massive horizons not blocked by skyscrapers and of course this deep azure sky that would have been filled with stars naked to the visible eye. The Sumerians were the first people to settle in this area it's thought um, sometime around 4000 to 3500 BC and they would have mainly been farmers, shepherds and it's thought would have probably spent a lot of time looking up at the sky and it's thought that they are most likely one of the first cultures to develop horoscopic astrology. Through the observation of the seasons, the movement of the sun, the moon and the different planets they would have connected their religious beliefs with the everyday lives and then began begin to sort of really develop this worship of the three most important gods which is Sin the moon god who was thought to have travelled in a crescent boat, Shamash the sun goddess and also Ishtar who's the goddess of fertility whose home was the bright star of Venus. During this time as well the priests who would have been the government leaders that we didn't really have this separation of the sacred and the secular you get in most cultures now in those days the priests were the rulers the priests would have um they ruled different provinces and 
constructed large observatories where they they would have actually studied the stars, which were known as ziggurats. The priests would climb up these tall towers and then observe the celestial heavens and then would forecast future events by observing space through time and relating unusual events like, you know, for instance, lunar eclipses to social, environmental and political problems in aspects of their everyday lives, such as diseases. So these early people, these early Babylonians, connected celestial events as divine intervention, as a message from the gods, using the influence of the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, etc., to give them messages about when things were good or when things were bad, and what would occur. And by 2800 to 500 BC, the art that becomes astrology starts to become more sophisticated. So besides the Sun, Moon and Venus, <coughs> the other planets had been discovered as well. So you had Mercury, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, and they were also given characteristics as well. So Venus was associated with the morning due to its appearance then. And the idea of giving birth, Mars, as it still is now, was associated with war. Um, one of the earliest examples from this sort of Mesopotamian uh, time, and there's an example of uh, the existence of divination based on the stars amongst these Sumerian people, um, comes from a document concerning a king, Judea, who ruled Lagash from 2122 to 210 BCE. In this interesting text, it describes that in a dream, the king was told to build a temple. He saw a woman raising a building plot. She studied a clay tablet upon which were set down the constellations. And then the king goes to the shrine of the goddess Nance, where he is told that the woman he had seen in the dream was with Nisaba and that she was studying a tablet of the stars to build a temple in accordance with their patterns. One of the earliest lists of star names is found in an old Babylonian prayer called the Prayer to the Gods of the Night from around 1800 BCE which really shows that the stars were regarded as divinities capable of influencing earthly events and it goes as follows. May the great gods of the night, shining fire star, heroic Ira, bow star, yoke star, sitadaru, mushu, shu star, wagon, goat star, goat fish star, serpent star, stand by and put a propitious sign on the entrails of the lamb I am blessing now. And that is a Babylonian prayer from around 1800 BCE. Uh, in the prayer, as you might have noticed, it mentions lambs, um, and this is quite a common practice during that period, um, the practice of sacrifice and a related form of divination where they would inspect the lamb's entrails, or ecstasy. Um, as we mentioned previously, the first people of this area 
also developed the form of writing known as cuneiform and it's from these tablets that were used for record keeping and we also have a glimpse of some of the history of it today. The Sumerian culture is meant to have been very sophisticated and advanced in divination, astronomy and also mathematics and, and also magical practices as well. And these disciplines, these traditions are thought to have emerged into the foundations of what would later become a structured astrological system, but also the beginnings of a much more hermetic uh, cosmology, hermetic philosophy that develops um, in places like ancient Egypt, Greece and obviously Alexandria. The earliest text that we know from this period is called the Enuma Anu Enlil, which is a compilation of 70 tablets with 700 omens on them. And this dates from roughly the beginning of the second millennium BCE. The first 50 tablets deal with lunar, solar and meteorological omens, while the last 20 are more concerned with the planets and the stars early or late rising setting, position, size, colour, brightness. They're all discussed in this text. And a typical report dealing with the first appearance of the moon on the first day of the month is exemplified by Report 10 from the Volume 8 of the State Archives, which goes as follows. If the moon becomes visible on the first day, reliable speech, the land will be happy. If the day reaches its normal length, a reign of long days. If the moon at its appearance wears a crown, the king will reach the highest rank. From Isu Sumer Eglis. Another interesting aspect of the Enuma Anu Enlil collection is Tablet 63, that is known as the Venus Tablet of Amesadakua which is a record of astronomical observations of Venus. And it's thought that this astronomical record would have first been compiled during the reign of King Amisadakwa, the fourth ruler after Hammurabi. The tablet is very interesting um, as it records the rising times of Venus and it's also the first and last visibility on the horizon before or after sunrise and sunset in the form of lunar dates. And these observations are recorded for a period of 21 years. As previously mentioned, it's thought that scholars for these early people and you know people have studied it the, the planets would have been seen as gods, uh, as divine beings. And, you know, they were important from the perspective of prophecy, but also divination. And obviously astrology would have been one aspect of that. From a divination point of view, they also would have used them as augurs and omens. So, for instance, a flock of birds in the sky, a serpent on the ground, or also you know, examining entrails. And there would have been, although we're not going to go into this in massive amounts of detail, there were many different gods and goddesses associated with the planets. So, for example, we have the planet Jupiter associated with Marduk, who's king of the gods, Venus with Ishtar, and then Mars is with Nergal, to name just a few. Another interesting text from this time 
in the same sort of vein is a text written in 1000 BCE known as the Mul Ampin or the Plough Star. And this is described by Tamsin Barton in her book Ancient Astrology as follows. This lists the constellations in three broad bands running roughly parallel to the equator. Each band is envisaged as the path of one of the gods who enter through the gates on the horizon. Seventeen constellations along the ecliptic are set down. Though there are many unfamiliar star groups, the origins of the modern zodiac are clearly here. The bull of heaven, the crab, the lion, the balance, the scorpion, the goatfish and the tails. The barley stalk and the great twins are all obviously ancestors of zodiac signs. The text also includes the dates of heliacal risings, simultaneous risings and the settings of stars, an account of the moon's path, some accounts of the planets, schemes for adding extra days to the calendar in order to reconcile solar and lunar data, and a shadow table recording variations throughout the year as well as instructions for using a water clock. It ends with a list of omens, some of which are also found in the Enu Ma Anu Enlil. So continuing this discussion on Mesopotamian astrology, Babylonian astrology, um, we have to kind of see these early forms uh, in the context of divination. So the gods, the divine beings, are thought to present themselves in the celestial images of the stars and the planets, with whom they were associated so they would have employed many different methods of vi uh, divination however one that is very common uh, during this period is the priests would look at the livers or the entrails of sacrificed animals for blemishes or marks this is not something um, i would recommend people doing today these marks or blemishes would then be interpreted as signs from the gods to the king or ruler. So the Babylonians also predicted future circumstances based around the seven main planets. And these planets were associated with gods and goddesses that were important in their culture. They divided the fixed stars into three groups. The stars of Anu, Enlil and Ea. And the way they worked out which group they fell into would depend on where they rose on the eastern horizon. The horizon was then also divided into the paths of Ani, Enlil and Ea. So different gods uh, and goddesses had different areas of sky. The five planets and gods were Jupiter, who's Marduk, and he's the patron god of Babylon and the most powerful god. Venus was Ishtar. Saturn was Ninurta. Mercury was Nabu, Mars, Nergal, Sin, Saladi was the moon goddess, and then the sun god was Shamash. So the movement of these planets and the sun and the moon is not just looking at it from a planet point of view. These actually were considered to be the, the gods or the energies of the gods themselves. And according to the activity of those in the sky, they could then be used to predict events or interpret messages from those divine beings on the earth. This system was later extended out from the planets to the fixed stars 
and then used to interpret portents for divination and then also written records as well. And this was described by one author as follows. Thus, if on a certain occasion the rise of the new moon in a cloudy sky was followed by victory over an enemy or by abundant rain, the sign in question was thus proved to be a favourable one and its recurrence would thenceforth be regarded as a good omen. Though the prognostication would not necessarily be limited to the one or the other of those occurrences, but might be extended to apply to other circumstances. On the other hand, the appearance of the new moon earlier than was expected was regarded as unfavourable, prognosticating in one case defeat, in another death among cattle, in a third bad crops. Not necessarily because these events actually took place after such a phenomenon, but by an application of the general principle resting upon association of ideas, whereby anything premature would suggest an unfavourable occurrence. So these events, these stars, would then take on specific names and characteristics which would have been um, you know, applied to a child that was born, an illness, remedies, things like that as well. The exact style and rituals of these and ceremonies of these ancient priests um, are not very clear. However, they did reconstruct some of them from tablets in the Royal Library of Asher Banipol that was studied by the scholar Heinrich Zimmer. And as an example of a prayer that would have been used to petition the high gods in charge of oracular decisions, Shamash and Adad. And in this example, we can see a purification element and then offerings and more. And I quote, O Shamash, I place to my mouth pure cedar. I tie it for you with a lock of my hair. I place in my lap cedar. I washed my mouth and my hands. I wiped my mouth clean with cedar. I tied pure cedar in with a lock of my hair. I have poured out cedar. I am pure. I draw near to the assembly of gods for judgment. O Shamash, Lord of the decision. Adad, Lord of ritual prayers and divination. In the ritual prayer that I perform, in the ecstasy that I do, place the truth. O Shamash, I raise to you tribute, befitting of your lordship, which in the gods to you, O Shamash, Lord of judgment, Adad, Lord of ritual prayers and divination, who sits on a throne of gold, eats at a table of lapis lazuli, you will descend, you will eat, you will sit on a throne and you will render judgment in the ritual prayer that I perform, in the ecstasy that I do place the truth. And that is a prayer that would have been used to petition the high gods from the Royal Library of Asher Banipal. Um Obviously, these omens were seen as good. They could be seen as bad. Um, 
particularly evil omens would have been seen as indications of dissatisfaction with the god or the goddess that the planet represented and would need that they needed to be appeased. An example of one of these reports is an astronomical report to the King Esarhaddon that concerns the lunar eclipse of 18th of January 672 BC. In the beginning of the year, a flood will come and break the dikes. When the moon has made the eclipse, the king, my lord, should write to me as a substitute for the king. I will cut through a dike here in Babylonia in the middle of the night. No one will know about it. By 750 BC, the Mesopotamians have developed a very strong mathematical system and astronomical system that is thought to have expanded out from the original four season symbols of the bull for spring, summer for lamb, autumn for scorpion and winter turtle and it includes many more symbols and this includes mapping out the entire sky as well as a zodiac and they also calculate the positions of the planets, eclipses and future positions. They also divide the ecliptic into 360 degrees with 60 minutes to each degree and 60 seconds to every minute of a degree. Very much similar to today's system and it's also here in Mesopotamia it is thought that the 12 sign zodiac um, begins to emerge between sort of 12 to 6th century BC. The 12 sections are thought to have originated from the idea of priests measuring the parts through which the sun and the moon travel and then each section was given an appropriate uh, god or divine patron. Um, and these would have been uh, Aries, Pleiades, Gemini, Presepe, Leo, Speaker, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricornus, Aquarius and Pisces. And these were later changed um, by the Greeks. Each of these signs is considered to have a precise influence on events on Earth. And also rules of plant, animal, precious stone and colour as well. And in addition, the Babylonian priests also named 12 houses that were divisions of the zodiac that governed the various different aspects of life. Um, so the Babylonian houses would have been one was life, two was riches and poverty, three brothers, four parents, six children, seven health and well illness and so on so they had all these different houses which still connect with some of the ones that are still used today um an interesting side note on the above is also that the babylonian astrology the constellation of cassiopeia rules over syria and palestine and this constellation was called the women with child because every 300 years it was meant to produce a a really bright unusually bright star and astrologers have calculated that this star appeared around the time of the birth of christ possibly and may also be the star that the three wise men followed obviously we can't prove that but it's an interesting anecdote that's all we have time for today um However, in the next episode, we'll be continuing our discussion on the historical aspects of astrology with a quick look at ancient Egypt. So if you want to find out more about some of these ideas, then do stay tuned. Um, to finish the episode, um, I will... <coughs>
finish the episode, I'd like to read from the first couple of um, verses of an ancient Sumerian poem known as the Love Song of Su Xin, which is thought to have been the oldest love poem ever found, dating from around 2000 BC. And this was apparently written to be recited to the ancient Sumerian king Shu Sin by a woman he was about to marry. The Love Song of Shu Sin Bridegroom, dear to my heart, goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. Lion, dear to my heart, goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. You have captivated me, let me stand trembling before you. Bridegroom, I would be taken by you to the bedchamber. You have captivated me. Let me stand trembling before you. Lion, I would be taken by you to the bedchamber. Bridegroom, let me caress you. My precious caress is more savoury than honey. In the bedchamber, honey filled, let me enjoy your goodly beauty. Lion, let me caress you. My precious caress is more savoury than honey. Bridegroom, you have taken your pleasure of me. Tell my mother she will give you delicacies. My father, he will give you gifts. Your spirit, I know where to cheer your spirit. Bridegroom, sleep in our house until dawn. Your heart, I know where to gladden your heart. Lion, sleep in our house till dawn. You, because you love me, give me prey of your caresses. My Lord God, my Lord Protector, my shoe sin, who gladdens Enlil's heart, give my prey of your caresses. Your place goodly as honey. Play, lay your hand on it. Bring your hand over like a gishban garment. Cut your hand over it like a gishban seekin garment. It is the Balabala song of Inanna. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Ocalan podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you.